Welcome. Today is Easter Sunday, the day that a very large portion of our world recognizes the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, much the same way that Christmas reminds us of his birth. I say that a large portion of the world recognizes Jesus' resurrection. By that, I simply mean that the celebration of Easter, with the bunnies and eggs and all the other distractions, even with all that, it's still known by most to be the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It is Resurrection Sunday. By the way, it is because of the resurrection taking place on the first day of the week that most Christians go to church on Sunday rather than on Saturday, which would be the actual Sabbath day. We do this as a weekly remembrance of Jesus' victory over death and sin. This tradition was started by the apostles, as we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, which states that upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, um, and on that topic of breaking bread, we would normally be gathered around with a family of fellow believers within our church to share in communion together, like the disciples did. Um, as part of this day of remembrance. And we certainly will do that as soon as we're able to join together in worship once again. Now, as much as this day is a day of reflection on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the payment for sin, it would be very appropriate to turn to the passages of Scripture that tell us about those events that took place and what Jesus accomplished for us in that. But in light of those events and our subsequent salvation, I believe that it is just as appropriate to continue our study in the book of Matthew as Jesus addresses us and our responsibility having received this gift of salvation through Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. So if you want to follow in your Bible, I'm going to Turn to the book of Matthew, uh, turn to chapter 5, and I'm starting in verse 13. So Matthew 5, 13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, salt and light... These are the descriptions that Jesus uses to describe what his followers are supposed to be. Salt is a very interesting substance, and it is used in a number of places to describe a character trait that a Christian should possess and display. And the question is asked, as it is worded in Mark chapter 9, if the salt has lost his saltness, wherewith Wherewith will ye season it? Question being, when applied to us, uh, 
If the Christians don't display this character trait, who's going to? Who in the world is going to take our place if we're not doing what we're supposed to? And of course, the question is rhetorical. And the obvious intended answer is that it won't exist. How do you salt salt? That is the question. So then, what traits are we to display as salt? What exactly is our role here? Well, when I was growing up, my mother uh, used to make all of our bread from scratch. It was usually very good bread. But I can remember one time when she forgot to put the salt into the dough. That was the only difference from any other batch of bread she had ever made. But that batch of bread tasted absolutely terrible. So much so that we couldn't stand to eat it. And we ended up throwing it in the garbage because it was just so bad. When we looked at that bread, it looked just like all the other bread she had ever made. When you sliced the loaf, it looked and even smelled just as good as any other loaf of bread. But when you took a bite, you just wanted to spit it back out. So what did the salt do? It made the bread palatable. It caused the bread to taste good so that it was pleasant to consume. That's our job as Christians too. When we tell others about God and the message of the Bible, we need to think about whether we are being that saltless bread that people want to spit out, or are we adding enough salt to the message, enough kindness and grace, so that they are willing to take another bite, to be fed by the communication of the word of truth. Sometimes as Christians, We've bought into the message of the Bible so much that we don't remember that, just like uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 8, that the gospel is offensive to the lost world. It seems that Christians have a reputation for condemning sin, which in itself isn't wrong. But how are we doing at getting the message of John 3.16 out there? Why don't Christians have a reputation for presenting the solution to the sins of the world? The gospel message of Christ is one of hope, love, sacrifice, forgiveness, and freedom. We just have to remember that people are in love with the bonds of sin that Jesus came to free them from. We need to find a way of presenting God as a loving father who is seeking the lost, offering them eternal life, if only they would believe that it is available, that their sin was paid for through Jesus' death on the cross. All they have to do is turn from their sin and believe that Jesus' payment was sufficient to satisfy what God requires, freeing them from the wrath of God that will require payment for sin. As Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that is by his perfect sinless death in our place. Oh, if we could only put enough salt in the recipe 
to make people want to hear it. If only we could make them understand that faith in Christ gives freedom and peace, not bondage and rules like we tend to make them think. So as salt, it is our job to make the message of the gospel more palatable, not offensive, but something to be desired. When a lost person looks at you as a Christian, do they see something in you that makes them want what you have? Do they see someone who is full of hope and joy? Do they see someone who doesn't get burdened down with worry and guilt, but that trusts God to bear their burdens and to lead them through the dark and perilous times? If we aren't being salt, if we don't do what salt is supposed to do, who will? Jesus says that if the salt isn't salty, it's good for nothing, to be tossed out in the street, to be trodden under the foot of men. We have a job to do. Let's go do that job and be the salt of the earth. Now, it doesn't end there, though. Um, our passage in Matthew 5 carries on. It says in verse 14 that we're also supposed to be the light of the world. We all know what John 3.16 says. At least I hope we do. But do you know what follows it? The message doesn't end there. It continues. I'll read verse 16 just to get the context and I'll read beyond that. Verse 21 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God." Now that uh, passage reveals a lot about people and their reaction to light. Isn't it a sad state that the world is in as described in this passage? It says this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Why is light coming equal to condemnation it tells us that it's because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil verse 20 explains that their problem is that the light reveals their evil the light reveals their sin and they don't want to change they don't want their evil deeds to be reproved it says <clears throat> That puts us in a tight spot now, doesn't it? On the one hand, Jesus is telling us to be salt, 
to make the message pleasing to people, make it appealing and palatable, easy to swallow. But on the other hand, he tells us to shine like a light that reveals the sin and darkness that is in the world. These two things are not compatible. As salt, we're to be gentle and kind, but as light, we are to proclaim the truth. We are to be a city on a hill, out in the open, shining like a light, being held up high for everyone to see. A light that reveals whatever is hidden in every dark corner. We must proclaim what the Bible says. We must call evil, evil, and righteousness good. We as light are not to hold back from proclaiming the holiness of our righteous God, who will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain, and that the law exists, as Romans 3 verse 19 says, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. That is our job, is to proclaim the truth of the Bible, proclaim what God calls evil, so that the world can know that they're guilty before God. But we also need to give them the solution. And we need to remember, as James chapter 2 verse 10 says, that whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. God is righteous and a just judge, and he will judge people for the things that they have done. And without Christ, they will suffer eternal punishment in hell for their sin. So now how do we shine as light, revealing sin and proclaiming the truth, and yet be salt at the same time? The answer comes from learning to be like the one who is telling us to be these two contradicting things at the same time. John chapter 1 describes Jesus as light, starting in verse 7, and as the creator of the world, and yet the world did not know him. And then in verse 14, it says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says, and he was full of grace and truth. This is very much like Jesus telling us to be salt and light. These two things, this grace and truth, seem to be almost mutually exclusive. Grace forgives all and is loving and kind, but truth reveals sin and holds the sinner accountable according to the law. Yet Jesus balances these two opposites in perfect harmony. Using truth to oppose sin and evil when that's what was needed and giving grace to others when that's what was needed. Giving the precise balance of the two at all times. Never letting sin go unchecked and yet always making a way for the sinner to repent and believe. A careful study of Jesus' life and his interactions with people will guide us in how to balance between salt and light. We can learn to proclaim the truth, to reveal sin, and still show love and compassion, caring 
about the eternal destiny of the person, caring about their life and well-being, without compromising on speaking the truth when that's what's required. It's a balance between declaring that what someone is doing is sin and offering grace and forgiveness through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an offer of eternal life in exchange for revealing the truth about sin. This is what Jesus died to proclaim. We cannot ignore sin or the death of Christ becomes meaningless. But we also can't stop at condemning the sin. We must provide the solution that Christ has given by offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. Taking God's wrath on himself so that we can be set free from the penalty of our sin and receive eternal life with Christ in a resurrected, immortal, and sinless body. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. What a glorious hope we have in Christ our Savior. So let's strive to be like him, to be salt and light, filled with grace and truth. Thank you. That's all for today.